always has something to say relative to education. I think the fact that so many people have opinions and perspectives on the schools is wonderful. School districts are very complicated. I will tell you that assumptions get made and sometimes they're correct and many times they are not. And I want to help people understand. We are educating kids for their future, not our past. to episode two of the Jeff Rose Podcast. I'm Jason Pace. I'm here with Jeff. Jeff, how you doing? I'm doing great. As we kind of venture into show number two, I'm excited and curious, of course, how and how that will turn out. Well, we're experts by now, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. We know really. what we're doing. And so uh, if you listen to episode one, then you heard Jeff talk about the content he's looking forward to delivering in the future in this podcast. So Definitely give that a listen if you hadn't heard that, and go ahead and subscribe and comment for us on the Apple Podcast application as well. Jeff, why don't you get us started off today? Sure. Well, you know, first off, I want to mention that during our first show, so to speak, the introduction, I found myself at the end excitedly overwhelmed at the many, many topics and hopefully meaningful content to come. Where to start, I think that's the challenge. How do you just jump in right. is, you know, my curiosity and both you and I being new at this, I guess we'll, we will just literally dive in and see if we sink or swim. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Might as well. Might as Where well. are we going to go today? Well, I think, you know, that we talk, we've talked a lot about the concept of why. And I, I do want to kind of have that as a theme, not just today. I think it's important that we start with that because the concept of starting with why, and we'll go into that in a minute, but I hope that that's a theme that is always uh, throughout. We should be questioning why we're talking about what we are, um, and in education, it gets to the heart of the work. What are we trying to do and why? And if we jump too quickly to the how and the what, I find, number one, it's not as motivating, and two, we sometimes get lost in uh, content and confusion. Right. And things happen when you lose track of the reason why you're doing something. They do. And, you know, clearly this, we give the credit to Simon Sinek. The, when right. I read that book, you know, Start With Why, a number of years ago, I realized that this is a dilemma in education, not just successful companies, as he was describing. As, as he mentioned, you know, Apple being the successful company um, in his first video that I ever watched. Well, I would say that education is similar. We jump too quickly to the how and the what and we lose um, sight of what drives us, what causes us as educators to lean into this inspirational and noble profession. And I have found that if you don't have that in your pocket, almost on a daily basis, the work becomes overwhelming and really difficult, and you can actually get dragged down as opposed to try to be inspired by something that you can be inspired about every single day. 
Right. So starting with not just the why of the work, but your personal why is really critical, I think. And you need to be able to explain it to other people. Right. And I guess I'm imagining people listening to this, they might be a principal or a teacher or an administrator, and they are potentially asking themselves what their why is, right? Right. And I, I think it's important that they can, they, can, they can describe that. Right. Because if they can't, if they have a hard time telling their story and their narrative relative to why they're doing the work, they can sometimes work for years, be challenged by everything that challenges us in education, and lose sight um, the, what their initial motivation was. And that initial motivation is typically very pure. It's very important that purity of what caused you to step into this, not necessarily lucrative, but potentially inspiring profession is really important. Wait, this is not a lucrative profession? Well, um, no. No, and I would tell if, if, uh, if those who go into it for uh, either the dollars or you know the summers, um, you're not going to last long. Right, I think everybody thinks that, <laughs> wow, it must be a fantastic job. You only work nine months out of the year. Uh, there are those. I, I hear those comments, but um, I would also assume those are people who have never done it. I think we need to do a Mythbusters episode. Yeah, maybe so. Do you think? Absolutely. Okay, great. So for those of you listening, Jeff has been uh, a teacher and a principal and a three-time superintendent, uh, most recently of Fulton County Schools. And Jeff, why don't you take us through kind of that pathway and how your why got started and how it's maybe changed and, and how you struggled with it potentially or helped other people find their why? Sure. I think my why goes to my uh, story specific to what drove me into this field, which I can't say is um, it's not necessarily inspiring, but it's mine. And therefore, it's really important to me. And many people go into the profession for different reasons, but mine was, was unique in some ways because school was not a place where I was successful. Um, I can honestly tell you that I hated it. I loathed going to school every single day. And it started in elementary school because it was difficult and I was not successful there. Early on, uh, my teachers noticed that I was challenged. They, I believed, did everything they could to support me. Um, you might imagine that I appreciated going to the, quote, resource room every day, and I did not. It's not something I felt good about. I didn't like being pulled out of class. I didn't have. I don't like having to re-enter class every day. Right. So this started very early. Very early. Tell us where you were and when. So when this I was. yeah, I grew up in several places. My dad was a coach, so we moved around uh, quite a bit. Um, but I started kindergarten actually in Canada, but early elementary, I would do a stint in Arizona, and then the majority of my time in a couple of different schools in California, Southern California, um, Orange County, LA region. And my teachers, I think, did everything they could. They communicated very clearly my challenges with my parents, and my parents also had their own struggles supporting me. In fact, I had tutors after school, Back in the day, they told my parents that I had an auditory processing disorder, which was causing my struggles in terms of, you know, paying attention, is what teachers would say. Now, in this day and age, it would definitely be described some, as something different, some right. attention disorder, attention and I deficit, definitely right. would have been medicated, but um, I was not, and therefore labored through. Um, my parents used to get these directions on to provide me with multiple kind of multiple directions at home so they would say listen we want you to practice by brushing your teeth 
making your bed and then blank, whatever that would be, knowing that I would never make it to or pass the toothbrushing phase. Right, right. Keep this in mind, students with attention disorders, it's not the fact they can't pay attention, it's they pay attention to too many things at once. Right. And this caused problems for me. It made learning to read really difficult. It made uh, learning to kind of follow the rules of the game in the classroom really difficult. And I just learned to hate school early yeah. and yeah. never thought that I would ever be successful as wow. a learner. And my early uh, memory of a teacher who somehow impacted me, and she was a saint. Her name was Mrs. Zemer in fourth grade. And while I never forgave her for putting me in the green lizard reading group, because I knew what that meant, right. you know, um, right. but I did know over time that she loved me. Right. And she did everything she could to show that she truly cared for me. Right. And told my mother at a conference that I would be a leader one day. I'm sure that shocked and confused my mom. And this was the mom. fourth grade? This is the fourth wow. grade. Wow, yeah. And uh, you would assume that that teacher had a just an immediate impact that changed the trajectory of my education. <laughs> well, I will tell you, it did not. It did not. But I, I will remember her forever. Yeah. And it is a constant reminder for me that relationships are a cornerstone to this work. Right. Um, and are truly the best instructional strategies, knowing our students. And then as I moved into middle school, uh, my strategy became apathy. I think that was my coping mechanism and working really hard to demonstrate that I just did not care. And I wanted people to know it because I wasn't being success successful, so I better show them I just don't care about that. Right, okay. Um, and then that led to... So were you the class clown, or were you quiet, or were you just... I've, like, never, been, that... I've never been quiet. Um, <laughs> I've, ne that's not been, uh, I've never been fearful of speaking, so that has not been my problem. It did lead to behavioral um, sure. stuff, let's just say. Well, I think, I think parents and teachers can really identify with this. Most parents have had uh, either a child who's gone through a similar experience. Teachers certainly deal with this on a regular basis, so I've, I'm sure you're hitting close to home with a lot of the listeners. Tell us how things progress from there. Well, uh, you mentioned some of these behavioral things that you know kids and parents struggle through, uh, and that was definitely the case. I became really good at making it to the mailbox first mm. because I knew what to uh, look for and what to pull out. That's right. That was before to get home access that's exactly when your parents right. could get your car, your uh, report cards yeah. online. I considered that a beautiful thing. I, I feel bad for kids these days yeah, in no a number kidding. of ways. I actually get alerts when homework doesn't yeah, get they, turned Yeah, they just in. can't get away with anything, right, can Right, right. The surveillance is And off. by the way, we can talk about that one day because that's not necessarily a great thing either. I think it's definitely a topic for but, the future that, that people want to hear about. So I guess I'm imagining, you know, Southern California, your 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 strategies, apathy. Did you skip a lot of school? Did you surf a lot? I mean, little human interest question. So there. when I got to high school, I think <laughs> that my strategy was to you know engage in shenanigans, right? right? right. Um, gotcha. Okay. And there are certain things that I really liked about high school. I I really did. And it wasn't um, it wasn't as though I never went, but I I was struggling. I wasn't doing well. In fact, I had I had my 10th grade Spanish teacher. She would give everyone a name, right? Everyone got a little Spanish name. Oh, yeah, yeah I remember yeah. that. Yeah, right? So you'd assume that mine was hey, Go either way. Something. Yeah, right. exactly, sure. Right. Mine was Tonto, Tonto is what they named me. So see, yeah. Tonto, which is, uh, you know, mi español es más o menos, but Tonto is not a good, right? This means silly or, or dumb, right? Right, right. So I had an 11th grade teacher tell me, 
Jeff, you will, you will never go to college. She used to separate the class literally into two sides and she used to call them the bluebirds and the blackbirds and um, I was definitely not even close. I think I was on the back of the blackbirds classroom, right? So That's an interesting teaching technique. We'll have to comment on that in the future as <laughs> yeah. well. well. No names, it, of course. And I, I'm telling you that I still look back at these, you know, teachers I've had and while I've had challenges, I don't, I don't feel resentment or spite. I, I know that some of my behaviors created just really dramatic challenges. So if anything, I just feel a lot of guilt around it. Right, right. I did not get expelled, you know, from high school. I was uh, smart enough to make sure I stayed in school. It doesn't mean that right. I didn't um, have some challenge along the way or, you know, you can get suspended without getting expelled. But I will say this. I had a hook in high school. Right. Um, and I believe this is a really important. I had something that I was passionate about, mm -hmm. and that was my sport. And my sport kept me connected. It connected me to a team, mm -hmm. a cohort of other students. And um, I know that I needed above a two-point. Mm -hmm. I needed above a 2.0 average through it. because I wouldn't be able to play otherwise. Oh, so you could so you could play. Now tell us about your sport that was what? So I was a water polo player. Okay. And I swam and played water polo, but water polo is my passion actually. While I was in high school, I started receiving these, you know, letters from colleges, recruiting letters. Jeff, you'll never go to college though. So here here's another part of the story, <laughs> right? I remember collecting these uh, letters and going to that 11th grade teacher right. for this, what I thought would be a very exciting, neener, neener moment. Sure. And, uh, you know, I did. I was feeling good until she looked at the letters, these early acceptances to these schools I had no right in attending. And she said, well, but you'll never graduate. <laughs> right? So. Do you think maybe a part of her was purposely doing this just to make you say, Yes, I can. Maybe. Grit your teeth. Right. Clench your fist. I've, been, I've right. always been very competitive in, in my sport. I was she you know, type known, A. Yeah. And who knows what her strategy was. Right. That I've, may have been I've totally her strategy. I've never circled back with her. Um, it worked. Yeah. To but some it, degree. It, it, to some degree it worked. Right. But I think importantly here, there was no big turnaround in high school yet. Right? Things no. didn't pivot on anything. You were, you were lucky that you were good at your sport. You, you got that shot at going to college. But really, I mean, for anybody who's listening to this... Either they had a hard time in high school or they got a student that's having a hard time all through school and they think, oh, well, maybe when they're a sophomore or maybe when they're a junior, it didn't happen for you, right? You, you're, you're exactly right. right. In fact, I will tell you that I graduated high school on time, mm. barely. Okay. I was this student, and if you're a high school educator or administrator, yeah. you know what I'm referring to, that we were counting and pushing for just the right amount of credits down to the wire. I did graduate high school. And I, my story is not a sob story. Because I will tell you that I grew up in a middle class home. Yeah. Both of my parents are educated. My mom is a teacher. Mm. My mom was a chemistry teacher. Right. Um, my so dad your whole was, household My was, dad was a coach. And right. my, my parents weren't together, but they were both very loving and supportive parents. And statistically speaking, I had everything going for me. Everything. And yet I was still struggling. Mm. So um, I did graduate, and I did go to college because of my sport, um, and my mother would have killed me if I didn't. True. But when I got there, I had no idea how to do things, right? I didn't know how to study. I didn't have those habits in my hip pocket, and immediately, within the first year, 
I was on academic probation, about to lose my scholarship, which was the thing paying my way through school. So um, that was interesting, but I did have this moment. And I talk about this moment often. I was taking a history class, and we were actually reading this book called The Puritan Dilemma, and I did the reading for that particular day, which was not my MO. I never did that. I would always figure out how to strategize and catch up later. But, which by the way was not effective as I just described, but still, um, in class the professor was cold calling and like I mentioned before, I've never been shy. I've always been vocal, so I gave him my answer as confidently as I knew how. And rather than shooting it down, he seemed surprised and almost taken back and immediately told the class that he had never heard that answer before. In all mm -hmm. his years teaching, he said, I would expect a black and white answer to the type of question I asked. That is navigating the gray, and I need to see you after class, is what he said in front of everyone. Now, you make a face. I was very used to being asked to see, you know, <laughs> see me after the class. So that, I'm comfortable with that. Right. You were like, game on. That's, that's fine. What okay. did I do? Yeah. And what he told me was that not only was that insightful, but he wanted me to read not just the required reading, but two chapters ahead because there's something that connected in those chapters to what I had mentioned in class. And he said, I, I want the class to hear your perspective on that. Mm -hmm. And that was this amazing moment for me. That was this turning point in my thinking about myself as a learner Okay. that um, took all of this challenge and um, helped me come to the conclusion that potentially I was of average intelligence. And very quickly thereafter, I became excited as a learner and was able to take this, you know, um, energetic, sometimes uh, spastic behavior and focus and poured into something I never had prior to, which was learning, as opposed to just my sport and messing around. So it was a maturity uh, time for me and uh, definitely a pivot. And that didn't come till college. Do you think it's important, Jeff, at whatever age that it happens that you learn or that you recognize you're a learner? Talk, I mean, I want you to talk about that for a second, and we'll, we may push it to a different a future episode, but you saw yourself as a learner. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But that was your freshman year of college. That's right. Right? Actually, it was my beginning of my sophomore year in college. I was first year was just surviving, and... Um, I could look at my transcript and notice this immediate difference in terms of my grades and then what transpired from there. It was my sophomore year in college I decided, I think I need to be a teacher. And I, I didn't think, I, I didn't even know if I liked kids. Right. I just thought, I think I need to get into this education space to try to impact kids in a particular way that for some reason hadn't connected with me. But let's make a distinction here. Up until that point, your belief was, I'm not a learner. Correct. And that was reinforced by you from the very beginning, early in, in, in elementary school, right? So the pivot point is from believing you're not a learner, which was reinforced by whatever, right? Right, right. To realizing you were a learner 
And I think in the future it would be interesting to explore how critical that moment is and if that, that moment needs to happen as early as possible for people. And that sounds like obviously it should, but how? Right, but we're not talking about how. This is the why episode. Well, I, I will say this: this this drove my why. I okay, mean, like I said before, I I knew early on that for this reason I need to be a teacher and somehow impact this. And okay, you know, I subscribed early to what Jeff Howard describes as the innate ability paradigm, and that concept is that you know some have it and some don't, and I. I came to the conclusion that I don't believe in that. I don't believe in the innate ability paradigm. Innate ability paradigm. Break that down a little bit. Right. This is the that some are meant for right. uh, school and some are not. You either have it or you don't. Right. Now, of course, I believe in you know God-given gifts. I, right. I do believe in that, and I don't believe it's 100% nature or nurture. I believe it's a combination of the two. But you know, I I have been driven for my entire career thinking that we need to look beyond a child's present circumstance, that if we believe that defines them, we do them a disservice. And so my why, my story, reminds me that when students struggle, that doesn't have to define them in the future. Right. Right? And in fact, I will tell you that what we know about kids is that one of the most important factors relative to their future success is whether they think they're going to be successful. Sure. Whether they believe they're a learner. And that gets defined for kids early, which is why we know, statistically speaking, that kids will or won't be successful with an 80 to 85% accuracy range by the time they're in second grade. Is that true? Yes. So that should make us all very, very nervous. But it also should empower us to understand that we can influence kids relative to how they think about themselves and how they see themselves as learners early and often. So I have a question about this pivot point that you're talking about, this moment. Was that the moment you realized you could be a learner and it was unfortunate that you hadn't learned it up to that point? Or did it take a few more years to realize, wow, that didn't have to be that way. I could have learned I was a learner or I could have learned to see myself as a learner at a much earlier age, how did that kind of time out? That, that took that, that. That's you know that unfolded over okay. years, right? My perspective on uh, teaching and supporting students and creating you know school infrastructure that sends the right message to families and students, you know that took time. It was a building process, but I did know that at that point when I started to change and see the change in even my academic performance. Um, I did think right away, I wish I knew this about myself earlier. And by the way, I also know that I could not have been convinced when I was not being successful of somebody just saying, listen, you are smart. That's not the answer either. We can't just give out trophies to every student and let every student know that they're smart. We have to make sure that they know how to struggle and to fail and teach them to push and have the endurance and the grit necessary. And as soon as they begin to achieve some success, because they will, because I believe all students can, and when they will, then we use that success to build future success. And I think that could have been possible potentially for me earlier. I don't know when, I don't know where, and this is not a blame game. Um, like I said, I feel guilty for everything I did to my parents and other teachers, but 
um, that's been a driver for me ever since. Well, I, and I think all of us hearing this story, though, know someone, a student perhaps, that we suspect might believe they're not a learner. And so I don't know if this will make it into episode two or if it's going to be edited out and pushed into the future, but what would you say if you to someone who knows someone who believes that about themselves? Maybe you have a, a sixth grader just made the, the transition from elementary school to middle school, and you suspect that they don't believe they're a learner. If you're a parent or if you're a teacher, what's the, uh, what's the antidote there? Well, I will tell you that I believe students know what we think about them, whether we tell them that or not. You, you mentioned strategies. There are just so many. But I will, I think students pick up on how we feel about them, mm-hmm. even if we tell them the nice thing at the time. I think students get it. Right. I think students can look around and know which students are sometimes light, which students are supported by parents differently. Students that sometimes don't have some of the supports at home, guess what, they know it, right? And this sometimes defines them, and it's our job, I think, some way, somehow, to demonstrate that regardless of that circumstance, with the right effort, with the right supports, and by the way, it's not gonna be the same for every kid, that they can and will be successful, but it's not going to be easy. Because you know, the road to success is never easy, but it's possible. Jeff, I think we have a really good picture of what your why is. What would you say to the teacher, the principal, the administrator, the parent who is asking the question of themselves, what their why is, or whether it's strong enough, or how would you, how would you talk to somebody? Well, I think, I think what I would tell, let's just focus on a teacher, for example. As a teacher transitions to the profession, um, they are going to be enthusiastic. The intent is to change the world one student at a time. It's not to get summers off, nor is it to have a lucrative career at the time. It's, they want to make a difference. And it is going to be hard. There are going to be times where they don't have the answer and they will sometimes feel challenged with their own abilities. I can say that if they know how to describe why they initially leaned in to this work, it will help them get through that. Otherwise, I think the challenges will beat you up one day at a time. So one thing I tell every educator is if they don't know how to tell their story, if they can't remind themselves or others of their story, even if their story was they loved school, they were always successful, and they thought, I want to do this. What has been done to me for other people? Even if it's just a very smooth, beautiful story of this, I used to play school, and now, in fact, I'm a teacher. Remember that. Because if you can't describe it, if you can't tell people why you initially did this, I have seen too much burnout. I have seen the work overwhelm. And this is a career of intrinsic motivation. And you need it, and you need to hold on to it, not just day to day, but from the very beginning. And believe me, you will have so many stories over time on challenges and successes eventually Right? You can write your book, but you have to know why you went into it in the first place. And it's something I remind people of all the time, even though I've had 
you know, a, a, a career now and have had many layers in this business of schooling, I still hold on to my experience as an elementary, middle, high school student. And when that professor picked me out, even though he didn't know me and was somehow, some reason, impressed right. and inspired by my answer because I somehow did the reading that day. Right, right. And I need to be able to tell that. Yeah. Well, I think that's informative to anybody in the profession as well. Your professor may not have really thought that was all that significant, right? Maybe yeah. he'd done that before, yeah. right? And so for any educator listening now, those moments are important to those students. You never know when you're going to hand some student their pivotal moment, right? That's exactly The moment they realize they're a learner. Perfect point, Jason, because I can tell you that Mrs. Zemer in the fourth grade, she doesn't know that I knew she loved me. I didn't tell her that right. as a fourth grader. Yeah. <laughs> um, I wasn't actually going to hug her. Right. That was not my MO either. Right. Um, but, and I, by the way, I never circled back. Right. I never sat her down and said, you know, I, I know that I was a challenge, but I also knew that you felt this way about me. I never did that. Right. So teachers sometimes don't know the fruits of their labor. Right. So I just I think you bring up a stellar point. Jeff, you've given us a lot to think about. I think everybody listening to this today is going to ask themselves what their why is. And um, I think what we all want to know is what is next episode three. Well, so tell I, us what you're going to talk about. Yeah, and I, as I mentioned early in the show that it's very easy to become overwhelmed when we look at uh, what people want to hear about and know about specific to school because it's an right. important topic. Um, I have chosen to start at the leadership level and I want to talk about leadership being very lonely. Uh, a topic and, we both know a lot about. Yes, and I think that relates, of course, to leadership in the educational realm, but I also think that a lot of people can relate to this, whether they are a coach, whether they are an entrepreneur like yourself. Leading is really lonely, and there are certain strategies that come with how to deal with that, and I, I think it would be a good thing to talk about and hopefully something people want to hear about. Excellent. Well, we're looking forward to it. with Jeff Rose, hosted by Jason Pace and Jeff Rose, and recorded at Serendipity Labs in Alpharetta, Georgia. We are produced and edited by Carson Pace. Our theme music is by Full Year of Panic. If you're listening to this on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. We'll see you next week.